Our adoration verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26-31 today. Uh, we're talking about Paul and the educated. How did Paul disciple the educated? Um, so, uh, in light of that, I want to remind us of who we are in Christ and how Christ uh, uses us. And, um, and, and maybe it will give us a little security. Um, particularly, I think, because uh, that's maybe intimidating. For some, at least I know it is for me. I feel like, man, if I'm gonna go to someone who's got a PhD or something, I better have some really solid arguments. I've got to know what I'm talking about. They're gonna get the gospel from me. Uh, and First Corinthians 1, 26 to 31 really recenters me and and helps me remind of the work, or remind myself of the work of Christ. So it says this: For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord let's praise god who changes hearts and uses what is weak for the throne of god above i have a strong and perfect plea the great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. While I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me hands depart. No tongue can bid me hands depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. And because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me, to look on Him and pardon me. spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am the king of glory and of grace the king of glory and of grace the king of glory and of grace the king of glory and of grace, the king of glory and of grace. 
My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which might, mightily works within me. All right. Um, I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll jump on in. Father, thank you so much. <clears throat> for loving us, calling us. Uh, thank you that you've given us your word and we can open the book and, and read what you have to say. Thank you for the church and that we're part of it, your, your bride. Um, we ask that as we look at Paul here that you would challenge us, maybe excite us to be more missionally minded. I ask that you would help me to be on task Speak only what you would have said. I ask that you'd open our hearts to be changed, to be challenged, and, and call us into a deeper love for you. In your name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so if you are new, uh, we're taking this year to look at um, how discipleship happened in the Bible. And for the summer, we decided that we we're going to work through the Psalms and, and see uh, how the psalmists grew and how they were challenged. And, and so we saw the followers of God deal with triumph and sadness. We saw when they were in exile. We, we were with them and, and read when they, they felt like God was physically with them, where they were so close with God, and then times where they wondered if he even cared. Uh, and, and this week, we're jumping back out of the psalms, and now we're going to look at uh, how Paul discipled the educated. How, how did he do it and what can we learn? And we're going to look at six things that Paul encourages us to do. Six things that Paul, six ways that Paul says he disciples or that we can observe uh, that we can maybe apply to our lives. So uh, that being said, that means I have six main points, which means we've got to go quickly if you guys are going to have any time for a microchurch. And I know you want me to take a long time, but I'm, I'm just going to have to disappoint you. Uh, and I know, let me, let me do this as well. I know we just read Colossians 1, 28 through 29, uh, but we're not going to be there right now. We'll get there, but we're actually going to start in Acts chapter 17. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it to Acts chapter 17. Uh, and the reason why is when I think of, of Paul and the educated, I think Acts chapter 17, Mars Hill. Um, and so, so I want to... I wanna, Drop in there and look at a couple examples, and then we'll move to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, how did Paul disciple the educated? Uh, if, I'm, if I'm completely honest, I was not stoked in having to teach this sermon. Um, I, I do not consider myself like super brilliant. Uh, like I'm, I'm good mid-range intelligence, I feel like. Like I'm smarter than. I'm not going to name their names. 
but you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and, and I don't consider myself to have much of an education. Uh, I've got two years um, at an unaccredited Bible college, so that's not like a big hanger to hold your, your coat. Uh, and when it comes to apologetics, just get tongue-tied, and I'm not really great with it, philosophy, science. I mean, I feel like when, if I'm going to walk into a room filled with super-educated people, I'm going to need to know apologetics and philosophy and science and, and, and a lot of stuff that I really don't know a ton about. And so looking at this, I thought, man, I, how, how do we engage and discuss particularly the educated and then the more I thought and prayed, the more I read these passages, the more I realized that at least I have a tendency to exalt the education or accolades above the actual person. Even the title, Paul and the Educated, almost dehumanizes this group of people, and it's just you're thinking of very educated people rather than individuals who have had a lot of schooling. And, and so I tend to view, because this guy or that lady has these degrees or accomplished this amazing thing, there's no way that I could ever disciple them. I have nothing of value to say. And reading Acts 17 and Colossians helped me realize that I don't need apologetics at all. I don't need to be educated. What I need is gospel-centered precision. Your view of others is viewed through the lens of the good news for all of mankind. And the first thing that I, I think that Paul teaches us about discipling the educated is not about great arguments, but about understanding the culture. So the first thing that we need to learn is that we need to know the culture. And so we'll start Acts 17, verse 16, and then we'll, re we'll read 16 and then jump to 22. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. As he saw the city was full of idols, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Uh, the phrase, know the culture, can feel overwhelming, especially right now when in our culture, we're dealing with polarizing political ideals, competing world philosophies, and, and disagreements about how to deal with viruses. And, and, and you think, man, I need to know all of this information on every side if I'm going to have a good answer. But Paul doesn't get into any of that at all. He's in Athens, and, and he realizes, man, there's a lot of idols everywhere I look. There's a statue to, to every imaginable God and even one to the unknown God just in case they forgot a God, which they did, the real one. And Paul doesn't argue about the theology behind their idolatry. He doesn't make a stand about how evil their idolatry is. He simply says, man, you guys sure, it, sh it sure seems like you guys care about religion a ton. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And when we think about knowing the culture, we tend to think about knowing everything, but it's, it's not. Uh, knowing culture is, is not about knowing everything or finding all the wrong things in culture to combat them. It's finding, about, finding out about what they care about. What do these people or this person care about? What do they give themselves to? 
And so Paul finds out what they value, and then he uses that as a means to tell them about Jesus. And this isn't the only time that he does this. Uh, He does it as well in Jerusalem and and in Rome too. In Jerusalem, Acts 22, 1 through 5, Paul's in Jerusalem and he gets arrested in the temple. It's kind of his normal routine. Uh, He gets an opportunity after he's arrested to speak before the leaders and the Jewish people. And the text specifically says he spoke in Hebrew to them. And then he lays before all these people all of the training he has as a Pharisee and all of his zeal in persecuting Christians before his conversion. And he does that because he knew in the the Jewish culture, standing before the leaders, what they valued was him speaking their language and having Pharisaical training. In Rome, he doesn't take that same argument uh, in the same chapter, uh, chapter 22, verses 22 through 30. He's brought to trial there. And since he's, he's in Rome, what he reveals to them is not that he's a great Pharisee. It's not that he's greatly educated, but that he is a Roman citizen. And he uses that as a platform to preach the gospel. And, and it reminds me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul makes the statement, I've become all things to all people. And, and what he means when he says that is he's finding out where people are at, what they value and what they care about, and he's caring about those things as well. He's finding the things that they don't want to touch. And he says, you know what, I'm, I'll release that for now because I want to have common ground with you for, for the glory of Christ. And so the first thing that we learn about Paul in Acts chapter 17 is that we need to know the culture. And, and we can do that on a, a big evangelism before you know, many people or, or we can do it on a personal level, knowing what people care about and then using that as a framework to to show them who Christ is. Um, so now, now that we've looked at Acts 17, I, I want to go down to Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through 29. Colossians chapter 1, 28 through 29. Um, it says this. Him, that is Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Uh, For the rest of the points, here's what I want to do. I want to look at how Paul says he disciples, and then with each one of those, point out a temptation that we might face. So it's going to be a a statement of what Paul says, and then how we might be tempted to do something different. Uh, And I'm going to go through these relatively quickly, because I want you to discuss them in your microchurches. The first thing that Paul says when talking about discipleship, is that he proclaims Jesus. Him we proclaim. And I know that sounds super simple, but that goes against all of my natural tendencies. And the reason why is because my temptation is to proclaim myself. Actually, even at the outset of like, oh man, now I got to teach a sermon about, you know, how do I witness to the educated? I'm making that about proclaiming my ability. And so the temptation, when, when Paul says, I proclaim Christ, my temptation is to proclaim myself. I'm tempted to rely on my wit or my knowledge, my accolades, my speaking ability. Uh, when I think of evangelism and discipleship, I think of, man, what do I have to offer? Why would they listen to me? How do I sound intelligent? It becomes about proclaiming me rather than pointing to the greatness of Christ. And the first thing that Paul does in Colossians right here 
is he reminds us to proclaim Christ rather than ourselves. But he goes on, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Not only does Paul proclaim Christ, but he teaches and warns. And this is where discipleship becomes very difficult. And I guess I should pause here for a second. Um, We've done this weird thing in, in modern Christianity where we've separated out evangelism from discipleship. So we'd say when Paul was in Rome or in Athens, he was evangelizing, and then that's its own thing, and then you disciple, uh, where, where the way Christ speaks of it is evangelism is the first step of discipleship. And so you tell them about who Christ is, and then you help them mature as they uh, get to know him more. Um, so you have evangelism, and then discipleship comes with teaching and warning. Uh, And this is where it becomes difficult because teaching is is obviously a part of discipleship that most of us enjoy. I enjoy reading books about the Bible. I enjoy studying scripture with one another. I love learning what others have learned as they teach me, and I enjoy sharing my insights. Uh, And so I think we, we get that part, but discipleship is not just teaching what is right. It's also warning one another when we're headed in the wrong direction. It's confronting others when they're in sin, or moving towards sin, or or maybe moving away from the gospel and believing something else. And the reason why that's difficult is that in those moments, we'll have a temptation to either people-please or be harsh. We'll either just kind of allow that process to go and say, man, I I think they're moving in the wrong direction, but I I don't want to I don't want to cause friction in the relationship. I don't really want to bring this up. And, and so I'll just, I'll just allow them to do their thing or, or, or pass it off. Or, or you hear of this and, and you're just a hammer and, and you come off way harsh and, and you end up just offending for the sake of offending. And despite your personality or depending on your personality, you're probably going to lean toward one or the other. I actually, in myself, I find it really depends on the individual relationships I have. Uh, some people, I, I tend to lean toward harshness. And some, I, I really tend to people please. And, and so there's this, this tension that I have in teaching and in warning where, where I want to walk in both the spirit of love and gentleness, but I have a proclivity to people please or to be harsh. And so Paul first tells us and shows us that, that we need to know the culture. Second, he tells us to proclaim Christ. And third, to teach and warn. And then he tells us what the goal of discipleship is. And that is moving toward maturity. Verse 28 again. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The gospel is not that you are just saved, from your sins, and you're good. The gospel calls us to grow in Christ. And so if I'm going to give just a very basic definition of of maturity in Christ, I would say maturity for the Christian is a life that looks like Jesus. So when you're discipling somebody, and we're asking the question, how do you disciple? Uh, The goal is not just having a lot of knowledge or just making a convert who makes other converts. Both of those are good. But the goal is to look like Christ, to have a life that mimics Christ. And then both of those other things will happen because your life looks like Jesus. And as a a discipler, as as people 
grow and I'm teaching them what I know, there's, there's this huge temptation uh, that you might face when you're discipling someone toward maturity. And the temptation is the desire to be needed. Man, I want to be the one who has the answers. I want to be the, the one who's wise. I want to be the person that they're always coming to for prayer. The, the one who's exalted. I want to be the one that everybody looks at and says, that guy, he, he knows. I can ask him anything and he's going to know the answer to it. And the desire to be needed is huge. And it directly conflicts with helping people to mature in Christ. And the tension is either come to me or go to Jesus. So how does Paul disciple the educated? He helps them move toward maturity by pointing to Christ. Maturity that is a life that looks like Jesus. So Paul isn't saying, come to me. He's saying, look at how great Jesus is. And the next thing that Paul reminds us in verse 29 says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy. The next thing that Paul reminds us is that it's not easy. Discipleship is not easy. To this end, I toil and struggle, knowing the culture, preaching Jesus, teaching and warning, moving maturity are not easy things to do. And you're not necessarily even going to be accepted when you do them. I mean, if you look at the life of Paul, he's trying to disciple people, educated, non-educated, Gentile, Jew, just anybody. And what you see is not necessarily fun. It's being arrested. It's being rejected. It's shunned, stoned. Uh, It's entering into conflicts and having people defame you. Making disciples is hard work and can be exhausting. I think, in particularly, when you're you're looking at, as Paul does in Athens, and he's saying, okay, what does the gospel have to say about the culture of this place? What you're going to find is continued discussion, continued pressure, and it's, it's tiring. But at the same time, At the end of Paul's speech in in Acts chapter 17, what we see is, yes, he did get rejected by some. Some mocked him, some made fun of him, but people began following Christ. And it's so amazing to see someone come to know Christ and and have their their lives reformed to look like Jesus. Making disciples is toil and struggle, but it's also wonderful and beautiful at the same time. And the temptation of toil and struggle in discipling others is the idolization of, the, of an easy life. Why can't this just be easier? Um, man, this happens all the time for, for leaders that I know and pastors and, and, and Bible uh, leaders. It's like, why is this so hard? Why am I even doing this? Sometimes I wonder, I'm like, why did I choose to be a pastor? This is very hard. And there's a real toil and struggle. And, and, and in each one of our hearts, I think we just want things to be easy. Lastly, Paul reminds us of our ability. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul reminds us of our ability to make disciples. He says he struggles with all of Christ's energy, all of his might. You can only disciple people effectively when you rely on the power of Christ and not your own. And at least for me, when I read that, I have a huge temptation to rely on myself to get it all done. And it always leads, 
and only leads to defeat and frustration and exhaustion. And Paul says, I can make disciples only through the power of Christ. And that's why we opened up with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you guys want to turn back over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is Paul writing again, and he's talking about himself as well. And Paul was educated, but he recognized something. And he recognized that he he desperately needs humility. Verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord the only way you will be able to disciple the educated or anyone for that matter is by humbly relying on and boasting of the greatness of christ paul spends his life training and learning religion and and learning how how to convert people, and how to teach the law. And and then Christ comes in and just wrecks it and sends them out and says, I'm going to send you to the educated, but I'm also going to send you to the weak. I'm going to send you to the man and to the woman. And Paul, through all of his training and through all of his church planting and, and discipling, what he comes to hold most dearly is, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so at the end of the day, we can come up with process and ideas. We can learn culture, and, and we're going to preach Christ and, and teach and warn. And, but all of that has to come through a humble heart. How does Paul disciple the educated? He does it through humility, proclaiming in the greatness of Jesus Christ. I'm very impressed with myself that I actually did that that quickly. I mean, I was really hustling, but we did that. That was fast. You're welcome. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the word. Uh, Thank you that we were able to cram in six points in like 20-something minutes. Uh, Thank you uh, for our microchurches and that we get to connect uh, via Zoom for the most part. And ask that you would challenge us through the questions, that we would grow in our excitement of discipling others and calling people into knowing you deeply. Ask that our hearts would be that of humility and worship towards you. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Dust trailing river dry in thunderstorm and blistering sky from mountain high street below the 
Across the desert we call home You were the sun, you were the shade You were the love that led the way And we don't know what the future holds But we know that we can trust in you We set our hearts upon the road Love and leave the rest to you. But Jesus, we so often fail. We trample hearts along the trail. So write the law deep in our lives. A mercy more than sacrifice. And to each other we'll repent. Turn to you and start again And we don't know what the future holds But we know that we can trust in you Let's plant our hearts upon the road And love and leave the rest to you find a strength in you together as we journey through to living water come and flow across the desert we fall home and we don't know what the future holds but we know that we can trust in you Set our hearts upon the road Love and leave the rest to you And we don't know what the future holds But we know that we can trust in you Set our hearts upon the road To love and leave the rest to you God, thank you that um, you provided a helper. You provided a way for us to share. Um, just help us to seek you, to seek seek the culture, seek the people, um, seek the heart of the issue, just like you did, Jesus. You knew you knew what was at the heart of each one of us. Um, just ask that we'd rely on you as we as we go and we share and we disciple. Amen.